Now, Ireland has witnessed a craft beer and distilling renaissance in recent years, as most of us will well know. We've seen the likes of Teeling Whiskey and Gunpowder Gin and many more, which have emerged and they've made their mark on the various worlds of distillation. More surprising, though, is the re-emergence of Putcheen, which is no longer a bootlegged commodity, a mysterious drink once upon a time, but now appearing uh, in far-flung places like cocktail bars in London and New York. How did it all go mainstream? Well, if you didn't think that Donald Fallon was the one prime candidate to answer (laughs) such a question... A man who I suspect might have sampled a, a certain degree of putting in his time. Uh, he is the man who's going to tell us how it's all happened. Donald, thank you as ever for coming in. Good afternoon. Good, um, good to be here. You used, to, you used to arrive in like mysterious like seven up bottles or something, you know, yeah. from down the country, and you didn't really know what you were getting into. But times have changed. I once had a flu <laughs> cured, uh, or well, not quite cured, but certainly assuaged with a shot of putting. I think from like an old seven up bottle. I think something like that. Well, it's better than boil seven up. Well. <laughs> It does more than the traditional flat seven up, all right. Um, the world is now very much aware of this little Irish creation, isn't it? Yeah, and if you if you walk into the kind of there's, a, there's an ever expanding number of specialist whiskey shops uh, around the country, particularly here in Dublin. And you know what what surprised me walking into one recently was this growing number of Putchin brands. And I I was of the belief that Putchin was illegal. You know, mm, I didn't know that there I was so now too, yeah. legal Putchin you could buy buy in shops. And the reemergence of this drink, which is now a lot more controlled in terms of alcohol volume and everything else, uh, has sparked a lot of global interest. I found this beautiful piece on on Vice News, which inspires this segment, where an American writer said, "The drink hit me in the face like an emerald steam train, a liquid locomotive running on alcohol and happiness." I'm sampling Putchin. Ireland's forgotten moonshine a tipple so glorious it was once made illegal its history rivals that of whiskey uh, it's a complex history alright it's kind of uh, you know complicated and tortured and kind of seditious and it's very seditious yeah there's a tremendous story at the heart of this I mean this is not ancient history either and uh, newspaper reports about Gardaí you know raiding putchin makers are found in relatively recent times mm. uh, 2002 they shut down this enormous distributor in Tipperary and the Garda superintendent on duty says in the past there was glamour attached to Putchin and its distillation in days gone by. However, the fact is that Putchin can have terrible consequences for people. And Gardaí and Kerry only in recent times unearthed eight gallons of the stuff. So, you know, production remains. This isn't ancient Irish history. We're not talking hundreds of years ago. There might be someone making Putchin in a shed behind you. Uh, The quote you just mentioned from that vice writer refers to it as Ireland's forgotten moonshine. Is that a fair fair moniker that it's it's Ireland's hooch? You could say, you know, in, in essence, that's exactly what it is. And the history of it stretches back centuries. Why what is it? It's basically fermented barley, sometimes incorporating potatoes. And the beauty of Putchin and the danger of Putchin is the very same thing. Mm. It's relatively easy to make. Mm. And most we, we weren't short of potatoes. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Bar a couple of bad years, yes. but in general, we've never been short of potatoes. And most Putchin production is done kind of secretly in rural Irish communities. And it's a difficult thing to make, uh, to be honest, because you produce incredible amounts of smoke when you're making it. So people tend to make it in the winter months or at night time. And I think that really adds to the mysterious the, to the mystery of it all, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. and the rare element in Jew, that great song is a lovely verse in it. You know, at the foot of the hills is a neat little still where the smoke curls up to the sky, but the smoke and the smell you can plainly tell that there's putching brewing nearby. So it's made in a clandestine basis in rural communities. So what's behind uh, the surge of it then? Obviously, the fact that it's very convenient to make, but what, what in particular sort of sends it into the stratosphere? All kinds of factors, but the big one I think is taxation and the attempts by the British to tax whiskey uh, in Ireland. And yeah. one British monarch once said, <laughs> "Blame the Brits if ever." Blame yeah. the Brits. One British monarch said, my only true Irish friend is whiskey. But the, the attitude of the British authorities towards Irish distilling sometimes left an awful lot to be desired. I mean, they introduced tax on alcohol for the first time in Ireland on Christmas Day. 
1661. You know, bah humbug. And Ireland was a country which didn't really have a lot of industry. We were defined by an absence of industry mm. and a massive, you know, peasantry in the Irish countryside. So Irish whiskey was too profitable to ignore. You know, on an island that produced very little, they made plenty of this. Sure. And heavy taxes on Irish distilleries. It's extraordinary. I mean, 1792, Donegal boasts 29 legitimate taxpaying distilleries. 15 years later, there's none. I mean, the taxman runs the distilleries off the island of Ireland. And the dreaded taxman made no exceptions for small still distillers. I mean, after the Act of Union in 1800, tax collecting in Ireland only becomes more aggressive. So the Irish have very little. What do they have? They've whiskey. Let's go after that. Okay, and and that Putin then uh, moves into that vacuum. Um, interestingly, though, uh, and our perception is that it's always just some elf fella <laughs> over like a cauldron brewing all of this. But often it was women who yeah. were the central producers. Men are working the land, what little land there is, and this is something women are very good at. And one judge in a show and has this great line. He says, "In my experience, the women are worse than the men." Which uh, is a, which is a multi-purpose sentence. For absolutely, you. <laughs> you yeah. Use absolutely. For all applications. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. and the the military are deployed against distillers uh, and. You know, between 1810 and 1815. Hang on, sorry. Was it that much of a threat to society that they sent in the army? Extraordinary. The army and, and the revenue, hand in hand, are sent in against distillers. Uh, and you get this incredible moment, this five-year period, 1810 to 15, where there's documented examples of revenue being besieged, fired upon, in at least one case killed in rural Ireland, trying to seek out kind of secret distilling operations and putchin makers. So the quality of putchin varies mm. greatly uh, and there is this massive problem of alcohol volume because you don't know sure. just what's yeah. in it so you know one you like you might like one variation of putchin that doesn't mean you're going to find the same down the road yeah. and one of the best accounts of this is a guy called Michael O'Donoghue who's active in the, the War of Independence in a statement to the Bureau of Military History he talks about this he's hiding out in the west of Ireland during the conflict and he says you know we adjourned to Ferry's public house at the corner of the Boyle Road here we at and drank some stout and I sampled a, lo- a variation of the local putchin I found it vile stuff, the worst I ever tasted, far more corrosive and vitriolic than the Donegal brand. I was told that potatoes were used in the makeup. So, you know, it varies massively. Okay. Sugar, rhubarb, apples, the wide variety of ingre- ingredients is to blame in no small sure. part for the great unevenness in production. But many would say that was something to celebrate, you know, the great diversity uh, in Putchin from one village to the next, never yeah. mind one county to the next. Sure, I'd, I'd have thought actually that Putchin was the one, or that potatoes was the one universal uh, content, but apparently not if this IRA man up in Donegal doesn't like the local stuff mm. because potatoes are used and he's not used to it. Um, so we have the tax man and the tax man comes in and, and clamps down on whiskey and that's what leads to, to Putchin. But then the next uh, great formidable <laughs> foe faced by Putchin is temperance. Yes, Ireland sober will be Ireland free. The battle cry of the, the temperance movement. So you beat English taxation and then you have Irish puritanism. And you know the temperance movement when it comes onto the stage uh, Putchin is really in its firing line. Mm. I mean, the, the, the temperance movement is incredibly powerful. It mobilises hundreds of thousands of people. More than a million people take the pledge that they'll give up alcohol. And one Wexford rep, uh, re- newspaper reports that in a two-year period when the temperance movement was at its height, Newton Barry and the surrounding areas, the number of public houses there went from 22 to four. And a quote, the four are doing little good. So the temperance movement, right. one, it has a bad impact on public houses, yeah. but it also goes after this kind of illegal... Uh, distilling sure. and the other great movement of the day is Daniel O'Connell you know and the Catholic Association and Daniel O'Connell wants to keep drink you know away from from proceedings mm. and if you look at Daniel O'Connell's meetings I mean the newspapers call them monster rallies some of them are attended by 600 700, 800,000 people yeah, yeah. to mobilise which is, which is proper festival grade stuff with festival amazing. style 
uh, the scenes to, and behaviour and debauchery. To mobilise 800,000 people at a meeting in the 19th century <laughs> without modern day transportation and without the use of a single hashtag. You know, that is just incredible <laughs> political organising. Yeah. Who could do it today? And not unlike a merchandise hawker outside a music festival today selling T-shirts, yeah. there was money to be made on the fringes of O'Connell's meetings. Of course, so, you yeah. know, For putchian makers uh, and the like. But one historian of O'Connell says that the Catholic Association had police who would kind of stand around the fringes of meetings ensuring that there was no drunkenness or disorderliness okay. and no whiff of putchian polluted the clear, clear air. And when Frederick Douglass, the, the great anti-slavery activist from America, comes to Ireland in the 1840s and befriends O'Connell, he's absolutely horrified. He writes in his diaries of hearing about this kind of secret distilling that's going on in the Irish countryside. Putchian horrifies him, but he's greatly impressed by the sobriety of O'Connell's meetings. Okay. And Frederick Douglass, believe it or not, actually takes the pledge when he's sorry, in Ireland. Sorry, Frederick Douglass, the, the, the leading anti-slavery campaigner of the USA, <laughs> the, the forebearer to the, the Malcolm Luther or the uh, yes. Martin Luther King Jr.'s and Malcolm X's, takes the pledge. Takes the pledge. The hero like, like of he's, Barack like Obama. Like he's standing up to getting his confirmation. Like, like, a, like an Irish child making his confirmation pledge. Dan, uh, Frederick <laughs> Douglass promises in the company of Father Matthew himself, he takes the pledge uh, while he's here. Which, which is funny as well because it turns out that uh, Daniel O'Connell might have been a little bit of a hypocrite Absolutely. in condemning a certain yeah, form of alcohol. Yeah. O'Connell goes after Putchin, but Daniel O'Connell himself has this brief uh, brief moment in brewing. He opens a brewery and what's called O'Connell Ale, yeah. which was a really cynical attempt to undermine the political influence of the Guinness family. And some of the people around Daniel, no, not Daniel O'Connell himself, I don't think there was a sectarian bone yeah. in Daniel O'Connell's body, but some of the people around him would dismiss Guinness as Protestant porter. So, I mean, okay. they were willing to drink O'Connell Ale from one end of the day to the other, but Putchin was a different so, thing. Because the Guinnesses were from the Anglo-Irish aristocracy that they needed some sort of more Puritan, it. a Puritan form of Irish drunkenness. Um, we move on to independence then and obviously Putin has a, a little bit of a rocky history but it's still kind of part of mainstream culture. It is, yeah. And writers, Frank McCourt for one and Martin McDonough actually, brilliant writer Martin McDonough. Mm. He often works uh, Putin or a joke about Putin in, into his work uh, and it even pops up in, in Boardwalk Empire uh, in recent times. Yeah, so yeah. it has the right air of criminal sedition there. But I think it's incredible like when I put Putin raids into the newspaper archives for this I expected to find pictures of 19th century policemen with you know great big moustaches. Yeah. And actually what you find at pictures of Gardaí in the 1960s and there seems to have been like a real attempt by the guards in the 60s to bust the Putchian enterprise uh, across the island but it did remain you know it withstood the Garda Sheikhana in the same way that it withstood the Royal Irish Constabulary uh, and today uh, albeit with a slightly lower content volume which is probably what makes it legal these mm. days it is still back and it's back with a bang it's safer stuff today it ain't got to blind you and the people that are making it are, are the major Distilleries, the new major distilleries. Mm. You know, uh, Teelings make a, a brand of Putchin, Glenn the Lock, uh, Bond Putchin, John O'Connell's. Actually, sell that one in a little sack. You know, it still looks seditious, that bottle. And there's more than a dozen varieties of the stuff on sale in, in, in good off licenses today. So while the alcohol volume may be lower mm. and it's made this leap to respectability, I suspect. There are still people in sheds, the length and breadth of rural. Someone may be listening to this right now as they're making putching. You know, I think there is still probably a clandestine well, putching network. Somebody has to be out there to feed the grandmothers of Ireland with the small little doses <laughs> to try and feed their 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 grandchildren's coughs and what, and what ails them. Uh, Donald, as ever, thanks a million. Donald Fallon is a historian. He's the author of the Community Blog and books, volumes one and two of which are available in all good bookshops now.